Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn again to the book of studying, verse by verse, the book of Galatians. I'm going to be reading the first 10 verses, chapter 2. Paul accepted by the apostles. <clears throat> I've got a frog in my throat. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them <clears throat> for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. But all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. May God give us understanding of his word this morning. Shall we have a little prayer before we begin? <clears throat> Father, again, we're so thankful to be here. We thank you for your word that it is true and help us to glean some practical information from these few verses that we'll look into today. We ask that we'll be able to be tuned in, not be distracted, and receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The book of Galatians teaches that people can only be saved through faith, believing in our hearts that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, that he died on the cross to justify sinners, to put them into a right relationship with God through his shed blood on the cross. People are saved through Christ's righteousness, his merit, Christ's righteousness. We have none of our own. Even the godly prophet Isaiah, he said, all our righteousness is as a filthy rag. So it doesn't say much about us, does it? Until we get saved. But when we receive Christ, we receive his righteousness. And that's how God sees us. We are justified, just as if we had never sinned. Not because of our own efforts, because of what Christ did on the cross, his effort. We have no merit, no righteousness of our own apart from what we receive from the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> Good, I'm glad you're agreeing. One of the reasons the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian Christians was to preserve the truth of the true gospel. See, there's many false gospels out there. There's many false prophets out there. He had to write to defend those new believers against some false teachers who opposed him and the gospel that he preached. Their accusation against Paul was that the gospel that he preached wasn't enough. That Christians needed to follow the customs of the Jewish religion. They couldn't believe how God could ever accept the Gentiles if they didn't follow the Old Testament practice of circumcision, for example. They did believe Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the dead, but that God required more. He required them or us to do our part to be accepted by him. They had a earn your own salvation mentality. That being saved depended on what we do. So this is typical of all the religions in the world. It's all based on what they do. It's a works mentality religion. Only Christianity is based on faith apart from good deeds or good works or what we do. It's not what we have done. It's what Jesus has done on the cross. Amen? Paul had to emphasize this to these new believers. They were babes in Christ and they were being deceived by these false brethren. They were Christians, but they were also deceived, believing they had to follow the Old Testament law, especially circumcision. Paul himself is a very, very devout Jew. He heard the gospel through Christ's divine revelation and he refused to compromise from preaching the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. 
<clears throat> as long as I'm around, that's what I intend to do. We know he'd been to Jerusalem before. Remember when he visited Jerusalem and he didn't meet up with all the apostles? He only met with two. Can you remember who they were? Peter and James. Remember that? James is Jesus' half-brother. Don't be shy. Now, after 14 years, he returns to Jerusalem again to meet with all the apostles now. But he didn't need their approval <clears throat> because they hadn't put him in the ministry. It was Jesus who had put him in the ministry, not them. He didn't need their approval. And on the trip, we learned that he took Barnabas, also a devout Jewish Christian, who the apostles knew, and also Titus, that he didn't know, that they didn't know. Now, Titus was probably the most important person at that meeting, being an uncircumcised Greek, or in other words, he was an uncircumcised Gentile. Christian. So why did Paul bring Titus along? He was a living example of what can happen to anybody who believes the true gospel, whether Jew or Gentile. God loves everybody, regardless of race, creed, color, or religion. Question is, though, would the apostles all being Jews, accept Paul and the gospel that he preached and accept Titus, who was an uncircumcised Gentile? Would they accept him as being a fellow brother in Christ? Or would they expect him and demand that he be circumcised to prove that he was truly saved? So the meeting between Titus and the apostles is one of the most important events in church history. <clears throat> and I've entitled this message, that very important message, that very important meeting. I'm sorry, I can't read my own writing. That very important meeting, which it was, the, one of the most important meetings in church history because why if the apostles had insisted that Titus be circumcised it would have split the whole church however the apostles being led by the Holy Spirit were convinced that circumcision wasn't a prerequisite for the salvation of the Gentile Christians wasn't necessary, and they were right. It's not circumcision on the body that justifies a believer. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, <clears throat> that meeting with the apostles turned out very well. It was a huge success which Paul was hoping it would be. 
and together they rejoiced in what the Lord had done through Paul, which was clear evidence of God's call on his life as a true apostle, which those false teachers had brought into question in Turkey. He was faithfully preaching the true gospel where it had never been heard before and people were being saved and churches were being established through him because of his faithfulness to Jesus Christ, the one who called him into the ministry. Of course, not everyone was happy because you can't please everybody, amen? You ever tried? Don't even bother trying because you're not going to do it. <clears throat> What's that saying? You can please some people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time, so don't try to please them at all. I added that bit on the end. Whenever or wherever the gospel is preached, there will always be some people that, who insist on getting their own way. Like those false teachers, they wanted to change the simplicity. It's very simple. Even a child can be saved. It's simple. You know, in fact, it's too simple for some intellectual people to believe it. Some of the hardest people to come to know Christ are the intellectuals. But Paul was one of the greatest, probably the greatest intellectual who's ever been born. If they can save Paul, they can save anybody. If they have enough faith to believe in what Jesus has done, these people, these false teachers, they were trying to change the simplicity of the gospel by adding more to what Jesus had already done on the cross. What did he say? What was the last thing he said on the cross before he gave up the ghost, before he died? It is finished. It's finished. You don't need to add any more to it, but they were. Oh, this, those Greek, those Christians, the, the Greeks, those Gentiles, they've got to be circumcised now. Got to follow the Old Testament law. No, they didn't. And Paul, devout Jew, had to put them straight. This is why he was unpopular, you see, because when you, when you tell the truth, you're not going to be very popular. They weren't content to believe what Christ had done on the cross. They wanted to put a comma where God had put a period. All right? They wanted to put a comma where God had put a period. Like Victor Borg, remember him? <coughs> they wanted to put a... <coughs> what was the other thing? <coughs> they wanted to put a... <coughs> where God had put a... <coughs> they wanted to put a comma where God had put a period. Full stop, as we say in my country, my home, my land, land of my birth. This is my country now. Naturally, though, people think it's up to them. They have to do something to earn acceptance with God instead of simply accepting by faith what Jesus has already done. And I can relate as well as you can. Do we think when we sin, we say, well, I, I don't sin. Well, it's not what the Bible says. We either sin in deed 
or our thoughts, or with our tongue, or in our heart, or in our minds, okay? Are we agreed upon that? If you don't, see me afterwards, and I'll, it's the first time I've ever, ever met a divine being. So when we do sin, do you think it's up to us to do something to receive God's forgiveness? Do we have to do something to receive God's forgiveness? Like penance, you know what that's like. Say so many, our fathers, or what's the other one? Our fathers, or Hail Marys, you know, and you've seen people and they, they flagellate themselves to make themselves suffer. Makes no difference whatsoever. Do we simply believe God's promise to forgive us when we confess our sin to him? That's what the Bible says. So why do we have to beat ourselves up? We do, because we feel guilty, don't we? That's God's conviction. But when we confess, he's forgotten. You say, oh, I'm sorry, and you say to the Lord, well, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I sinned. And he says, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. See, I've already confessed it once. Was it, was it Corrie ten Boone? He says, you know, God buries our sins into the deepest ocean. The problem is we go fishing for them. Don't we? That's natural. Uh, what about our attitude towards other people that s fall into sin? What's our attitude? Do we judge them? Do we hold them accountable by the standards that we have set for ourselves? Or do we believe that they can be forgiven if they are truly sorry and turn from their sin? That's what the Bible says. You know, all of us are accountable to God. And we're all going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. We won't have to give an account for our sins because they've been dealt with on the cross. But we're all accountable. What we reap is what we sow. Amen? But God's grace is sufficient to deal with people. We don't, we, we don't have to play Holy Spirit in what other people do and what they've done. We're not to judge them. God is sufficient to convict of sin, to forgive, to heal, and to restore back into fellowship anyone due to his loving nature. Amen? He loves everybody. And the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. Now, those false teachers were holding other people to their standards, the standards that they set for themselves. And they drew a line in the sand, and then they blocked everyone else out that didn't follow their rules. They wanted to mix law with grace. That's trying to mix oil and water. It doesn't mix together. It's different dispensation altogether, the Old Testament 
does it mean that we, it, the law is, it's, it's holy, it's righteous, it's good, but you cannot keep it unless you receive the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. That's how we can keep the Ten Commandments. There's no other way. You can't do it by your own efforts. Impossible. That's why one of the reasons it was given. We look into it, we fall short of God's perfect standard of righteousness. And it shows us how far, far short we fall. It shows us that we're sinners and that we need a savior. That's the whole purpose of the law. Plus revealing the righteousness of God. So thankfully, Jesus wasn't like those false teachers. He wasn't legalistic. Jesus isn't like that. And he just doesn't cast us off when we make a mistake. Thank God. Some people will just cut you right off. Somebody will fall into sin and they'll just cast them off. They blew it. That's it. Never give them another chance. Is Jesus like that? Thank God that he's not. Amen. Oh boy, thank God for the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the restorative power of the Holy Spirit. Now, before Paul met with these apostles, he'd never met them all before. He must have been pretty anxious about that meeting and how it was going to turn out. He had no idea how things would turn out, whether they were going to be on his side or whether they were going to compel Titus to be circumcised, whether they would accept the true gospel that Paul had preached, would he be accepted as a true apostle called by Christ into the ministry. But Jesus knew that they all had the same commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have been given the same commission. It's been given to the church. We are the church. And we are his ambassadors. We are his witnesses. Amen? So, thankfully, that meeting turned out very well. Like I said, it was a huge success. The apostles agreed with Paul. And they never pressurized Titus to be circumcised. They accepted him as a true brother in Christ. And it says, Paul says, that they gave me the right hand of fellowship. We do that when people become a member of the church or somebody is nominated as a, a deacon, an officer in the church, and uh, we give them the right hand of fellowship. Giving Paul the right hand of fellowship by these apostles, it represented a solemn vow a friendship. They'd never met him before. They stamped their approval on him as a true apostle. So when Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, he wanted them to believe what he said in the previous chapter. He said, I'm not lying to you. They wanted them to know that the apostles stamped their approval on him as a true apostle and not to believe those false teachers that were deceiving them. 
they had a they promoted a works based salvation message a works based salvation message nobody can be saved through good deeds so many people are trying to get brownie points with God by doing this you know all those things are good doing charitable work that's a good thing you know doing this doing that but it's not going to help them in the long run unless they receive Jesus as their saviour so having explained what happened at that meeting to the Galatians which we've read ourselves this very letter that he wrote and he told them about his experience with those church leaders in Jerusalem he wanted to bolster his credentials as a true apostle explaining what happened at that meeting confirming the gospel that he preached and not what the false teachers were preaching was true was genuine he had the stamp of approval by the church leadership in Jerusalem can't get better references than that but he does point out one thing that the apostles expected of him and Titus and Barnabas and that was what don't forget about the poor don't forget about the poor now people get so wrapped up and I'm sure Paul was had so much on his mind and he was so busy and uh, our lives can be like that and it's not it's easy to forget about those people that are less fortunate than we are amen Uh, but Jesus said you know the poor will always be with us but to follow what the Bible says by helping those people in need who are less fortunate than we are it says in proverbs 19:17 the old testament it says whoever is kind to the poor lends to the lord see there's rewards in helping the poor have you discovered that have you ever gone without anything whoever is kind to the poor lends to the poor and he will reward them for what they have done so there's benefits there's rewards in helping those less fortunate than ourselves amen interesting though when Paul met with those apostles Jesus half-brother James was at that meeting James was also an apostle and James grew up with Jesus and his brothers and his sisters and he was born into poverty jesus was born into poverty it says jesus he he had nowhere to lay his head even when he grew up going from one village to another village to another village he was an itinerant preacher very poor his family was very poor they couldn't afford to have a, a lamb and sacrifice a lamb you know they they could only afford a little turtle dove the cheapest thing they could afford to make atonement for their sins because they were jewish james jesus our brother knew what it was like to be poor he was born in poverty but then he became rich 
because he received his brother as saviour. This is what James writes. I'm almost finished. I had to cut it down for time. But James writes this, and you can read it yourself in his book in the New Testament that he wrote. He said, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And of course, Jesus had a lot to say about helping the poor. And here's a snippet from Matthew 25, 34, and 40. I had to cut this down for time. She says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And even if you offer a cup of cold water to somebody, you're doing it unto Jesus. So what can we learn from these few passages? What have we learned? From these few verses today just 10 verses let's never forget the only true gospel that saves is the gospel of grace let's never try to mix law with grace the law expects us to do something to please God of course we have to play our part and keep his commandments. Amen? Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. We have to be obedient. That's, that's what we are supposed to do, to walk with the Lord, in the spirit of the Lord, being led by the Lord. The law expects us to do something to please God instead of believing faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, which we'll be remembering very soon. Now, because of what he's done, we can rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that we are justified, not by the deeds of the law, but by faith in Jesus alone, who paid the penalty for our sins. It's a done deal. It is finished. We can walk in freedom. We're no longer slaves. It says that in that verse there. Verse 4, this matter arose because some false brothers, brothers, they were, they were Christians, hello? Hello? had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom 
we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. He wanted to put us back under the law again. You understand? That's what some people try to do today. We can walk in freedom, being set free from the demands of the Old Testament law, the deeds of the law. Like the Apostle Paul, we ought to be convinced by now and be ready to defend the truth of the gospel. It's going to get a lot harder as time goes by to defend the truth of the gospel. Especially people in the pulpit that preach the true gospel. Maybe they're going to bring in some law and call it hate speech. We'll see. Not to fear those who oppose Jesus. Not to fear those that oppose the true preaching of the word of God. Not to fear those that oppose what's written in the word of God. But to be ready to defend the truth because we know the truth. We know the truth. Jesus is the truth. Pilate was standing there and he said, Pilate asked him, what is truth? And the truth was standing right there in front of him. Jesus said, if you abide in my word or or if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you feel free? Do you feel liberated this morning? Because of the truth, we are set free. We're no longer under the curse of the law. And the best way to defend the truth is to know the truth, to speak the truth, and to live the truth. Amen? To know the truth, to speak the truth, and to live the truth. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it is true because every word of it is inspired by the Holy Spirit who is God. And we thank you that you have revealed the truth to us, that Jesus is the truth. Help us not to be ashamed of the glorious gospel, to speak the truth, to defend the truth, and to live the truth. Just like people like the Apostle Paul have done for over 2,000 years. I have to talk to you people that are listening to this message, wherever you may be, on the radio, on internet. Thank you for tuning in. But you need to be saved if you're not already. And I hope and pray it's not by doing good works, by good deeds, which are all good things, 
but all our righteousness is a filthy rag. You can't earn your way into heaven. The only way you're going to get there is through Jesus, who died for you because he loves you, a sinner. He died for you. He bled for you. He was buried for you. And he rose again from the dead and is alive. If you believe that in your heart, call upon him to save you. And then you too will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.